0: I want to begin this morning's Devar Torah by reflecting for a moment on last week's parsha, Parshat Vayigash. Imagine the scene. Jacob learns that his son Joseph, who he presumed dead, was in fact alive. And not only was Joseph alive, but he was vizier to Pharaoh, second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. Learning this, Jacob and his sons and his tribes begin the trek to Mithraim, to Egypt, to Goshen, where they're going to settle. And we have a reunion of father and son after 20 years. We know the story. We read it last week. Joseph then does... What I imagine any child who has reached a certain status of fame and fortune would want to do, he takes his father, Yaakov, to meet the boss, to meet Pharaoh. And what happens at this introduction? Pharaoh turns to Yaakov and he asks simple questions. Tell me, how old are you? How's your life? And what's Yaakov's response? Va'yomer Yaakov el Paro. Yaakov says to Pharaoh, "Yemei shnei miguray shlosim ume'asana. I'm hundred and thirty years old. I'm, I'm hundred and thirty years old. Maat v'ra'im hayu yemei shnei My days have been few and miserable." They don't come anywhere near the length of days that my father and my grandfather, that my ancestors were able to experience during their lifetimes. My colleague Rabbi David Hoffman writes on this pasuk, on this verse, one can only imagine Pharaoh's face. How do you respond to that? Here comes the father of your your second-in-command, the one who interprets your dreams, who you put in charge of preparing the community, the country for the famine that's about to happen. He makes you wealthy. He turns all of Egypt into uh, serfs to you. Like, you, you feel nothing but gratitude and appreciation, and you're excited to meet this person's father, and you ask him how he's doing, he says, you know, my life's been really tough. Let me sit down and tell you how hard, it's, how hard I've had it. Um, I, I, can, I can imagine, uh, you know, in my own life, I've been blessed with a, a pretty spectacular career, I believe, including coming here and being part of this community. But when I was at USCJ, I was invited every year to the White House Hanukkah party. And at one of those times in the Obama White House, I took my dad to the Hanukkah party. Right? I, I imagine Joseph wanting to bring his dad you know, to meet Pharaoh. It's like, I'm bringing my dad to the White House. I, I, how would I feel if my dad, as I'm introducing him, unless you're really you know, I didn't get to meet the president at that time, but you get to meet everyone around the president, um, everyone in the, in the echelons of American government. I can imagine if I introduced my dad to Secretary of State at the Hanukkah party, he said, oh, it's nice to meet you. Let me tell you how miserable my life has been. <laughs> what a downer. Uh, not surprisingly, Midrash takes Yaakov to task, Midrash takes Yaakov to task uh, in a Midrash Agadah, which is about from the 7th century. So we're talking a long time ago. From the 7th century, Midrash imagines God reprimanding Yaakov for his response to Pharaoh. God says to Yaakov, are you complaining about the evil that befell you in your life? Did I not save you from the hands of Lavan and from Asav? Did I not return Dina to you? and Yosef? And yet you grumble and complain? I will diminish your years by the number of words which you uttered against me. I mean, think about what the punishment here is: for every word that you said in this pasuk to Pharaoh. For every word, you're going to lose a year of your life. Hashem therefore shortened Yaakov's lifespan by 33 years for the 33 words of complaint that he had voiced. God takes Yaakov to task. As Rabbi Hoffman writes, he indicts Yaakov for his inability to experience hakarat hatov, to recognize all the blessings, all the blessings of his life. In Parshat Vayechi, in this morning's Torah, we see a different side of Yaakov. And if, perhaps maybe it's not even a different side, perhaps it's, we see wisdom that being reunited with his son, being settled in, in, in the land of Goshen, we see Yaakov, perhaps even at an older age of 130, being able to still learn, and to have a different outlook to life as he's about to die. By Yomer Yisrael El Yosef, Yaakov says to Joseph, R'O panecha lo pilati. I never expected to see you again." Vehine A-OT, Elohim gam and here God has blessed me with being able to not only see you, but to be able to see your children, my grandchildren. It's a very different perspective than what he had when he went to meet Paro, Pharaoh, and then. And then he utters this blessing, which becomes the source of the blessing that we recite this very day for our children at the Shabbat table and at the Yuntiv table. We bless our sons, Yisimcha Elohim ke Ephraim We bless them that they should have the blessings of Ephraim Emanasha, the blessings that Yaakov gave his grandchildren. And Joseph blessed his children, his grandchildren, and he said, Elohim Asher the God in whose ways my ancestors Abraham veYitzchak, Abraham and Isaac, walked. Elohim the God who has been my shepherd." May Odi ad Hayom Hazeh from the time of my birth to this very moment, Hamalach ha Goel Oti, the angel who has redeemed me, Mikora, from all harm, Yivarech et bless these lads. That's the blessing now that he gives his children, his grandchildren. Yaakov finally gets it. He finally understands that life is bumpy. It's filled with peaks and valleys, rolling hills of of ups and downs throughout throughout his life certainly and throughout all of our lives. That's what it means to have an authentic lived experience. If we focus only on the valleys, we may not, as the Midrash suggests, shorten our days because God will punish us for missing the blessings amongst the valleys. I I, I don't believe in that theology. But we do know that people who focus only on the ra'im, on the negative, their lives are less meaningful. They're more prone to sickness and mental health issues, um, to to insecure and rocky relationships. Our lives might not be shortened, but they certainly, if we focus on the valleys and the ra'im, they're certainly less meaningful, more of a burden, and more sad. When we develop a mindfulness practice, on the other hand, that focuses our attention on the brachot, on the blessings that we have even in those moments of crisis and despair and difficulty, when we become more aware of the blessings, that mindfulness helps us to cope with whatever challenges we have and leads to a greater resiliency to overcome those challenges. They give us hope as we climb from the valley to the peak. Uh, Deborah Stamen, who's one of our members, and I, we conversed about this topic just this week, learning the Parsha together. And in our conversation, we were talking about the blessings of Ephraim and Manasseh. And one of the things that we were talking about at that time was I, I noted that it's odd that Ephraim and Manasha are the blessing of our sons when it comes to blessing our children because the blessing of the daughters are the matriarchs. We bless our daughters according to the matriarchs. One would think that we would bless our sons according to the patriarchs. Avraham Yitzhakva Yaakov, but that's not what we do at all because of this Torah reading we do Ephraim and Manasha. And at that time, when she inquired why I thought that was, my answer was the answer that I've given for many years until I started preparing for this Torah reading. Uh, and that was it's because Ephraim and Manasseh maintained their Jewish identity living in the diaspora. They were the first. And not only did they live in the first diaspora, they lived in, in the palace. They lived with all of the influences of Egypt available to them religiously, economically, socially, politically. Everything was available to them at their fingertips, but yet Joseph somehow managed to keep them rooted in their tradition. And so I used to think, and I still think this is one of the reasons anyway, I don't think it's an either or, black or white, or one or not the other. It's not mutually exclusive, but I used to think that the reason that it's a and Menashe is because we want to send a message to our children, especially to our sons, the importance of maintaining Jewish identity from generation to the next. But now I read this interpretation, I read this Midrash, and there's another explanation for why we do the blessings according to Ephraim and manasseh It's not about Ephraim and manasseh It's about we who provide the blessings. That we should learn to be like Yaakov towards the end of his life and not like Yaakov when he was coming down to Egypt before Pharaoh. We should develop a mindfulness of all the hakarat all that is good in our lives. And when we have the opportunity to be with our children, to place our hands on their head and to give them a blessing, what's more important than that? And perhaps this understanding therefore adds another element why we bless. Ephraim and Manasha, that our legacy ultimately is the legacy of Hakarat tov. Each week, we remind ourselves of the blessings that surround us, our loved ones. And when we learn to recount those blessings, when we learn to recount those blessings, elevate our lives from the ordinary to the sacred may God bless us and keep us may God cause God's spirit to shine upon us and be gracious to us causing us to be aware of God's light that illumines our life with blessing may God Causing that light to shine upon us, upon our loved ones, upon our community, upon our world, grant for us all lives of shalom, of peace. Peace of mind, peace of spirit, peace of body in a world at peace. We say, Amen.